This is The New Digital Customer, a podcast that brings you insightful and inspiring conversations with customer-focused leaders who are transforming and innovating customer experience. And now your hosts, the CEO of Brightloom, Adam Brotman, and Chief Product Officer, Ben Straley. Hey, everybody, this is Ben. And this is Adam. And uh, we're really excited to be back with you all uh, for another exciting episode. And we have a great guest today, Amy Johnson. So yes, we do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Amy to introduce herself and say hello. But before I do, I, I want to say that uh, Ben and I uh, had the pleasure of working with Amy when we were at Starbucks uh, for many years. Uh, I, you know, she is not only one of my favorite people, but is you know, one of the, um, uh, the, the smartest uh, and most forward-thinking people when it comes to marketing and data that I've ever met. And so she's a perfect person to have on the show. Welcome, Amy. Hi, guys. How are you all doing? <laughs> Good. Do you want to just tell... Do you want to <laughs> just uh, tell the uh, listeners a little bit about like, you know, not your whole resume or anything like that, but just like a little bit about your journey. Like, you know, you know, where, where have been some of your big stops in your journey and how did you end up at Zillow? Sure. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was wondering where I would end up, and I ended up at a, at a fantastic tech company, but how I got here is a little around the moon to get across the street. So actually, when I came out of school, I was a SAS SQL programmer because um, I came out with a marketing degree with no internships under my belt decades ago because that wasn't a thing. And they're like, why would I hire a marketer with no experience? So I became a programmer. And then I quickly left programming because I thought tech wasn't going to be a thing and got into CPG. So then I, I got an MBA. I was a general manager for about 10 years at Campbell Soup um, in the innovation space mostly. And then I went to retail where I met you guys at Starbucks for 10 years. Um, and at Starbucks, I ran beverage innovation and beverages and digital customer experience, loyalty, mobile order and pay, et cetera. And so all of that background between my programming, between general manager and running businesses and in retail, kind of like that mutt background has taken me to a great place because now at Zillow, we're looking to change from just a search and find engine to a customer experience company. So all of that stuff in my background is now helping me as CMO at Zillow because I'm helping them understand what a customer experience looks like if you look at product, meaning tech, consumable like mortgages, physical experiences like house, and then a frontline leadership group. And in uh, that's a great sort of jumping off point for for our conversation today, Amy. And, and can you talk a little bit about, you know, how are uh, you viewing sort of trends that are emerging in in the in the industry, and and how can customer or consumer uh, behavior is really changing in in ways that are meaningful to to you and the Zillow business? Uh, well, it's been interesting just in general. Um, so I'll talk to customers in general. As you know, are being lives are simplified in a way because they can't leave their house, right? So you right. can't go to the doctor anymore. You can, kids can't go to school. So now you have digital appointments where people before weren't used to Zoom. So that's become convenient. You have now curbside or your grocery is delivered to your house or et cetera. All these technical things have really had to pop up um, to make customers' lives simpler. And in many industries, it made sense. And in some industries that had never really been touched by digital, it's forcing them to change faster. Because if as a customer, you're used to conveniences in other areas of your life, you're going to be used to and want those conveniences in all aspects of your life. So in real estate, for example, um, 
there's a lot of stuff that should be handled digitally that isn't, right? The whole process of in-person appraisals and filings and closings and all this stuff, there's so much friction in the real estate process. So um, we're seeing that a lot of these technological advances are just moving customers faster to wanting to see that same thing in our industry. Um, That coupled with the fact that people are spending on average nine hours more a day at home. Yeah. And the fact that people can start wrapping their work around their life versus vice versa. Like if I don't want to live in Seattle anymore, I don't have to live in Seattle anymore. I can go find a house somewhere else. And before I would have to drive, fly, show up in person to the city that I wanted to move to. And now through virtual tours or 3D or those kind of things, you really can access and have space to move freely around the United States, if you will, trying to find a house. We're calling it the great reshuffling. Everybody's yeah. kind of yeah. moving seats. Yeah, and sorry, Adam. Can we just riff on this for one second, Amy? Because it it's reminding me of the Saturday Night Live skit that got so much <laughs> sort of play a month or two ago that uh-huh. Zillow was the star of. Um, and you know, it was a really funny skit and and resonated, I think, with many of us because uh, for exactly the reason that you're describing, but but the added layer of sort of escape and. Um, the fantasy, the, the daydreaming around like living somewhere else and getting out of, out of one's life to go somewhere else. And I'm just curious, how did you and your team and, and Zillow as a whole kind of respond to not just that skit, but, but I, I would imagine that's an idea that is not a new one or, or all that surprising to you that people are looking to Zillow for more than just transactional stuff, right? Totally. totally. It was funny when we saw the skit, um, Actually, uh, Steph Marks, who we all worked with at, yeah. uh, at Starbucks, uh, her team sent a note out to Dan, at Dan Levy and said, see you tonight and winked. And he was like, see you tonight. It was, it's funny because like just keeping going with it because it's a, it's a real customer insight, right? Yeah. Like I want to escape. And what's interesting is it's not an escape into an alternate life. It actually allows you to dream for things that you may want and it feels tangible. Right. Right. Or mm-hmm. you can gamify it. Like the whole, if I have $50,000 to live in this city and I have four people find me the best house, right? There's also all of this gamification happening. The, the thing that's so interesting to me about buying, selling, and renting a house is um, we were doing some research in it. And 75% of people um, are super stressed out about the idea of buying or selling. Like super stressed. Mm-hmm. Like it's keeping them from moving forward. And yet when we talked to people that recently moved, 80% of them said it was totally worth it to move. Yeah. And so there's this cognitive dissonance between the stress of all of the steps and everything to get to the place where finally you're going to say, oh my gosh, I have now moved forward and I'm growing. Um, so so the part that that I love about the space we're sitting in is we, are, we give you the comfort of being able to dream. And now what we want to try to do is tie that to giving you to the confidence of moving forward. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Let's continue to riff on this. Uh, and we're going a little off script, but this is the point of the, the show. Cause like what we're talking about right now couldn't be more on topic uh, for what I think people, you know, for the millions of people that listen to this podcast, uh, uh, I wish, but you know, for the hundreds or thousands of people that listen to this podcast, you know, I think this theme, let, let's dig a little bit into it because Amy, you do, you sit as a CMO of Zillow and with your background, 
you what you just described is like I can't think of a better example now than Zillow of the of the digitization journey that we're all going on with every aspect of our life and meaning that there was a we were already on that journey uh, prior to the pandemic. The pandemic accelerates it, changes it, et cetera. And Zillow is a really good example because you're right, like buying or selling a house um, and, and linking that to like all the big, scary, stressful decisions, both life decisions and economic decisions that that entails. Like it was Zillow, frankly, that pioneered, as far as I'm concerned, that pioneered the idea of um, starting to digitize that process. And you, you said like, well, it didn't mm-hmm. on day one, and even today, digitize all of it for me. It digitized like some pretty significant aspects around like the first thing is like, before I think about buying or selling my house, I should understand what's out there. And yes, I had agents that could help me with that. But in like everything else in the digital journey we're all on, like, you know, there there was a better way to do it to self-serve via the web or via mobile app. And that is Zillow really did a great job of digitizing that informational process that you used to have to rely on an agent for. And to some extent, the agent can still play a big role, but you know, why not have the ability for you to to self-serve on that? So you're right. And then now with the pandemic, like the idea of the actual process of buying and selling your house can be digitized and Zillow is playing a role in that too, but, but not just supplemental, but directly. And so I guess the question, Amy, for you is, um, do you like, do you know, like what, I'd be curious to know what percentage of, of houses have been bought in the last six months without someone even physically stepping foot in the house versus what it was before the pandemic. Do you, do you have any sense of those kinds of trends? I know it's gone up. It's still single digits. It's like it's so small that if you say without ever seeing the house, that no one in your house has ever seen the house, because sometimes like you may make the decision, but your spouse have gone or yeah, you've done virtually. So we're actually still trying to get under what that statistic looks like. We know for sure it's gone up. Like I have some statistics around three um, D homes and virtual tours, and the fact that um, a, a, a listing that has a three D tour. Um, we're 22% more likely to sell within 30 days. Like we, we have things within our ecosystem that we know that if we put this digital thing on our site that allows you to be more virtual with how you tour and see a home, it will sell faster. It will get more views. It will be saved um, more often. Uh, and I know that in the single digits, I know that some publications have said it's double digits of people that are buying sight unseen. Um, we've had a harder time replicating double digits that it's sight unseen. But, but even, but even at high, single, speed, yes, it has but grown. Even at yes, like significant yeah. single digits and yes. maybe heading towards double digits, that's remarkable. I mean, that yeah. is. With now I mean, a smaller inventory. So we have to remember only about, so on a normal year, so I say non-pandemic year, about five to six million houses are bought and sold. During the pandemic, it was down quite a bit. It was like a million. So as a percentage mm-hmm. of a smaller number, it was. So we're trying to go back and like really equate to what it would look like when things get quote unquote a little bit more normal. Um, but it, but it is totally, it's interesting. We think about this. Remember back, was it, when was it big blue? Um, when you have human versus computer, computer wins, 
But when you have human plus computer versus computer, human computer wins. Right. And that's because of the way in which the heart and the brain have to come together because it's not going to always be as linear and there's different ways to solve problems. Um, the way we're looking at things is it's not just here's the marketplace, right? Which is what we did, mm-hmm. which is what we said. Every you as a customer, you should have access to the cost and price and background of every single thing you're going to be looking at. That is not the right of just one person to own that you have to be at the mercy of. Everybody should have equal access to the information. However, there is such a need, especially for first time buyers or people trying to figure out what does a credit rating mean? And what do you mean if I have a 460, I can't get a loan? Like, you just there needs to be humans and computers tech in both of this. So the thing that we're really embarking on is this idea of when is the tech solving a problem? When is a human solving the problem? When do both need to come together? And then how do you stitch that together so it's seamless? Right. right. So you can imagine it's a long journey because there's a lot of different touch points. Um, and some things, there may just be a, I want tech until I need a person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was at a, I was at a, somebody, a lady's house and it was a two hour ethnographic interview and let's call her, let's call her Sue. Um, and about an hour and 45 minutes, and we're, we're there with her, with me, with a researcher and with an agent. And we're just having a conversation about buying and selling a house, what she's gone through. Today. She just starts crying. And mm. We were talking about her need to get a new house. We look over and she pointed to an area of the house where it's just cluttery, just super cluttery. Like clearly they need to leave or she needs to throw a bunch of stuff away, right? And she looks over and she just starts crying. And the agent puts her hand on Sue's arm and is like, it's going to be okay. And then Sue started talking about how like she can't talk to her husband about it because he thinks it's okay to move school systems and she can't. And then if she can't, they can't afford now in that area anymore, Mm -hmm. which means now she's stuck in this house and she feels like it's a wait. And it was just that moment when we sitting in there just listening to what was going on is like a computer can't help solve that. Right. You need a person that's going to be there to have a conversation to then figure out how we help Sue move forward, because clearly she has to move forward. Clearly there's she's stuck. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's understanding when those moments happen that we are having the right tools then for Sue to help her move forward. Yeah. And what, and what, um, what are, what is the approach that, I mean, you mentioned this ethnographic study that you're doing. How do you think about the, the different, the wide variety of sources of data and where these insights mm-hmm. come from and how do you, as you know, as a company, as a as a leader in this space, how do you scale that, um, uh, in ways that are, that work. Information. Yeah. It's interesting. I was just talking. So we, we have a journey, right? You have a customer journey, which everybody's really hot right now on customer journeys. Uh, so you have a customer journey. And frankly, if it's an industry customer journey, it's the journey a person goes on in your industry. So it's not really mm-hmm. meaningful or differentiated for you yet as a business. Then yeah, then, then we're looking at like, what are the real moments that matter within that journey for the customer? Like where are the, pinch points, the pain yep. points. The... And then within that, we have to look at what do we have as Zillow set up to understand where they are or to meet them where they are, or you look at the competition. And then you have to figure out like and run the actual data then through those places where we meet the customer at those moments. So right. we're running the data, you 
it's not as easy as all that. There's usually 14 different data sources. You have to decide what's the real data, all that fun stuff. Um, and that's why you have the what is happening, but you still don't have the why. And so then you have to supplement the data, like, you know, 20% of all people that end up clicking on a submit to an agent have touched this page several times. That's interesting. And it's interesting. So that tells me something interesting is going on because it's 150% higher than other pages, let's say. But I still don't know why they're clicking on it. And, and sometimes people that like the analytics side will get stuck in, well, let's run more analytics to figure out why. And that's where you have to come in and go time out for a second. I want to talk to a couple of humans. Right. I want to ask the humans why. You could just do that and you won't be interrupting their day and they'd love to talk to you about it. So so then you balance and you get you start hearing patterns and you start getting common pieces that, that you throw against. So it's, it's almost like the, where do you want to be in the journey? Why should Zillow be in the journey? What are we already doing or not to be in that journey? What gives us the right and how are people using us? Mm-hmm. And then what's the gap to be able to solve that problem? Yeah, that's a great segue because the, the actually the question I wanted to really ask you next is how do you use data and analytics in various aspects of your job? But let's let's go back for a second. So you're CMO of Zillow. Uh, most people think of CMO, chief marketing officer. They think of Amy Johnson sitting in some giant boardroom directing agencies to create, to create these incredible ad campaigns you know, television commercials and digital ads. And I'm sure that's a big part of your job. I think you just recently, uh, like yesterday, launched some new ads, uh, video ads or television ads and or whatever. And nowadays, I don't know if it's, they go on television or if they go on YouTube or both. But the point is you've, you've released some- <laughs> <Just> video. <laughs> yeah, video. Yeah. But you but but, you know, that's obviously going to be a part of your job as a CMO. Every CMO is going to have to think about, like, what what is the creative expression of the brand? How does that show up and why in various, I'll call it, you know, first party channels or paid media channels or whatever. But can you can you first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the scope of your job generally? Like, I don't think what a lot of people don't understand is that there is no. There is no, you don't go to like Wikipedia and say, what does every CMO's job scope look like? It doesn't, it doesn't look the same uh, for every (laughs) CMO, right? And so can you give us a sense, like, does your job include uh, running a team that does analytics? Does your job include running a team that does things around engagement things? I mean, there's a variety of things. Can you give us a sense of that? And then specifically, let's talk a little bit about where data comes into your life. Where do you use data as a CMO to help you do those different aspects of your job uh, differently or better? Sure. So it's been interesting coming from a retail background where like, y'all know, right? You you walk into a Starbucks twice as an employee or a partner, you walk in once as a customer and, and, how does that feel that you work in once as a partner? Like what's going on? There's a paper on the floor or whatever, right? You get, you get used to the whole experience of, of what it is. Um, so my lens coming into the CMO role for Zillow is that what's very important is what's the brand experience, right? So I have a brand team and we actually just recently rebranded it, if you will, as brand experience team, because it is going to be about what's the experience? What's the promise that Zillow is giving you every step of the way and are we stepping into and delivering on that promise? So the first big part of it is like, what's our brand? What do we stand for? What's our positioning? What are our pillars? Are engineers engineering that way? Are hiring managers hiring that way? Are the marketers communicating that way? So that every single thing we do as a brand shows up as that brand. 
Um, then as part of that, we have clearly like customer insights. So it's how do you know what a customer need is, where the pain points are, and are we going to deliver on them or solve on them? And how do those roll up to the brand, right? The customer insights and brand experience are intermingled. And the creative, we have a creative studio. So it's how then do we show up and communicate in the most succinct or creative or unexpected or whatever the plan is way. So if you think about like services that I have under me that's helping the whole com company, it's brand experience, it's customer insights and growth, and it's um, the, the, the creative studio. Then I have this whole group of people that are, um, let's say, integrated marketing who like the PMMs, the product marketing managers that are sitting there going, great, thanks for those insights, insight folks. Um, and thanks to us, we have these problems we're trying to solve. They work with the product and field teams to figure out what are the right products and services that we should be offering um, that ultimately the business has to sign off on, but we help with putting the customer at the center of what we do. Um, we have all the channels that we sell for. We have all of the um, calendar planning. We have marketing ops, that whole engine. So if you think of like running a campaign or a set of marketing tactics across the whole year, that team does that. And then I have a group of people that are marketing strategy, really team. And that's like the MarTech, they're not the engineers. But if you think about like the MarTech group, that's working with the engineers and with the analytics teams to do the real and right next communication to the customer. So we're standing up more tech stack, we're doing next best action, we're doing um, you know, down funnel communications, all that kind of stuff is with this small team. But that team does not have engineers and analytics. We are liaisoning with and have joint goals with an engineering team and an analytics team with whom we're connected at the hip. So that's okay. So that's great because that's helpful. So that so gives us a better and more complete picture of yeah. Besides, you know, working with an agency or your and your own creative studio on the next great Zillow ad campaign. Besides that, you've got all these teams that are doing a bunch of other functions, and all of your teams are consuming data on some level. Yes. And, and, and many of them are producing data on some level. You have a hundred, one of the things about Z Zillow that's so interesting, it's true of any tech company and Zillow is definitely a tech company. Like you, you are, you have a hundred percent digitization essentially uh, rate of your, of your users, of your customers, meaning like, right. I mean, there's, there's not an analog version of Zillow really, right. You have to, you have to be on the platform to use it. Right. Well, well, that's true. But one of the things I've been really stressing a lot um, as we move from just a search and find platform that's basically B2B to like driving customer service experiences is that with things like Zillow offers, where like in 25 markets, we buy and sell houses. Um, it's not as e-commerce-y, if you will, as you'd think. Mm -hmm. It's not... It's not like you do this and automatically all these things happen. It is a lot of like, oh, wait, they finished a form. Somebody should call them, right? So we're still, because right. the company has been used to just all tech, right? A lot of Microsoft, Expedia kind of background, right? It's B2B, it's tech stuff. They're not, they hadn't necessarily had to in their past matrix with field organizations and understand what seamless handoffs are and what an e-commerce basic funnel 
like this person went missing. That person can't go missing. That was a right. great lead. How do we find that person? Well, there's actually channels you can communicate to them. So that's where we are working because we, we did go from like a have fun on us to like, wait, we need to talk to you still. <laughs> we got to set up a whole, there's a whole other set of systems that we can like put together yeah. to do that. So Adam and Ben don't go missing on us if we want to have conversations with them. You know, we're having single source of identity conversations. We're having like all that good stuff. Yeah. Where would you say, and then Ben, I'll turn it over to you to ask another question, but I, I, yeah. I'm curious to know, Amy, of all that stuff you just mentioned and with such a large percentage of you, you have great data on such a large percentage of what's going on on your platform with uh -huh. your customers and what you're trying to do. Where do you find that the data is the most useful to you? Like what, like in your, in a, in the course of the a typical day in Amy Johnson's life at Zillow, like where, where is like some data that you can't wait to get your hands on, you know, uh, or that you find is like the most useful to you? Is it in engagement? Is it in conversion? Is it in, you know, kind of just like, how do you think, like, if you were to sort of think about the top examples of where data gets you excited in your daily job? <laughs> it's so funny. I don't know where it's not included. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I mean, one of the, one right. the places I'm most excited right now is we have... Yeah, I was trying to think, I'm like, when do I not? Uh, I, I think one of the places I'm most excited about right now is, you know, I was telling you about that customer journey mapping and uh, process mapping, which I think might be overused. Uh, but we're doing a real process map where we're looking at, remember how I said, all those different touch points the customer has. We've now been able to pipe in all the data flow underneath the process map so we could literally see in real time how customers are flowing through the journey based on the tools that we've set up. And it's a big aha because we can also go back in time and now you could see where you thought you were fixing something, it didn't move the needle. Where before, if you're just looking at data and point in time, you're not necessarily get it. But if you see it over time, you could see how you could make much faster AV type choices that can move a needle. The, the other the other thing that's been fascinating to me, if you think about real estate, like you buy a house once every seven to 10 years and it's a huge amount of money and it's usually the biggest thing you own. And even if you rent, you're signing a contract once every 18 months and maybe moving once every 36 months. So it's a long time in between transactions. And if you think about the stuff that messes people up, like customers, like they get off, they're like, I can't do this, it's a disaster. There's so many different like snarls in the pipe if you will, like hair clogs, that even if you help with one little clog, there's like seven other ones. So what we're trying to use the data for is to say, where are the biggest clogs? Where are the biggest places customers are getting messed up? And then how do we make sure we're tooling the data so that we see the number in that place so that we can understand, are we really making a difference in customers' lives? Because that's one of the biggest places that we can actually make a difference. And so that's where I start getting excited, where you could start focusing on, and one of the biggest places to focus, maybe one of the smallest snarls, because mm -hmm. if you open that snarl first and then you attack the big one, your pipe actually gets bigger. So it's, it's almost like a 3D view of what do I have to run Drano through first? And if you have the data that's continually going, that's based on the tests you're doing and the tooling, it helps. It, it like you could start seeing how you're making a difference. Otherwise, you feel like you're just eating a bowl of spaghetti and you're never helping anybody. So you have to almost like set a visual representation of the data 
that's against the actions you're doing to show this forward momentum. Yeah, that's, um, you know, it, it, you know, what's really helpful about that explanation, Amy, is that, uh, you're, um, Ben, Ben and I, it's funny in our day job at Brightloom, we were helping restaurant brands and retail retailers and retailers. First of all, retailers are becoming more and more the, the, the distinction between a retailer and an e-commerce direct to consumer e-commerce retailer is becoming blurred. And frankly, the distinction between a re restaurant. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, a, and yeah, and the, and the distinction between a restaurant chain and a retail, a, and an omni-channel e-commerce retail, is becoming blurred um, because of you know delivery and curbside and uh, mobile order and you know whatever. So the point is that you end up with like this blurring, and it is interesting because you just described like customer journey mapping. You know, it's it's a natural thing for an e-commerce or a digital platform to get underneath. Because it's by definition, it is the playing field for the most part. I mean, you're saying you're actually moving from a pure right, right. digital only playing field to a multi-dimensional playing field. Most most consumer brands go the other direction. They're like not digital, becoming more digital. You're you're like purely digital and like expanding it into having many dimensions. But so it's really not, it's interesting to hear you describe how the journey mapping is so important for you uh, and, and the use of data around that to kind of un, to kind of open things up or understand things. That's interesting. Yeah, and understanding the journey map is what the customer goes through, but that doesn't necessarily define why you as a brand need to exist within that journey. Yeah. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, just because you've identified this is what the customer goes through doesn't mean you as a you as a brand have a right to intermingle inter with any of that. Like you, you really have to decide where do you fit most naturally, and where do you want to go, and what's the lowest hanging fruit to get there for the biggest impact of where you want to go. It's almost like you you have to have always like a three to five year rolling vision of who the brand is and who you are mm -hmm. as a company, and then always have in front of you what the customer journey points are that you want to impact. And then you want to keep an eye on the competition because you don't want that whole like innovators dilemma thing, right? Where you're like, um, you get stuck as the incumbent, you're not looking and all of a sudden mm -hmm. your legs get chopped off from under you. But you, you, because your customer is actually seeing that competition, that's why you want to look at them. So me as Zello, I want to be known for A, B, and C. I see here's the customer journey. There's three places we have a right to play right now in the customer's mind. So that's low hanging fruit. I know there's two strong competitors there, but there's a big enough marketplace I could play. Great. How am I going to differentiate and what do I have to do to be just average enough? And at the same time, I have to think, you know, where do we want to be three years from now? We may not have a right to play there. So I have to choose the next like proof point place where I'm going to show up with excellence that then gives me the right to be in that place. And, and then you have to let all the other stuff go that doesn't matter to you, which is really hard because when you work <laughs> with a bunch of really great innovators, there's so much opportunity. And sort of building on that, Amy, how do you... Um maintain focus and and is it a is it sort of a continuous process where you and your team and the executive leadership are constantly kind of revisiting decisions or can you talk a little bit about you know focus when there when there are so many opportunities available how do you how do you maintain that focus yeah well i could talk to marketing and i'll talk to you like it's a 15 year old young company mm -hmm. um 
So it's as a marketing team, we've just implemented prioritization because you can imagine now we're in like eight different industries, right? Between mortgage, right. selling, closing, we have B2C, we have B2B, and we have, you know, 250 some people. There's more to do than we can do, right? Even if you can throw more money at us, fantastic, but there's only so much you could do that a customer could take in. Right. So we've Im- implemented a prioritization process that actually we work in conjunction with the business units. So we'll say we have these many people in these groups. This is what we could take in in general. If anything new comes in, we go back to the business units to say, here's what you give up if you do that. You have to talk to the leaders. And so we've, this is only the second quarter we've done that. I've been here now <laughs> two and a half years. So I'm so excited. Revy, who's my SVP, the heads of integrated marketing, um, did this and it's fantastic. Um, as a company, we're still trying to figure out what that means. So right. because we've only ever been search and find for such a long time, that was our product. Mm-hmm. So you can go away with five engineers or PMs and you can decide, I'm going to put this widget up on this page. And that was great because first the customers didn't have to pay for it. So everything they were doing was interesting. And if it didn't really affect revenue, but if customers loved it, great. The agents were, you know, we make our money through agents buying ads. So we also have to, from an agent perspective, right? We want to make sure we're creating those relationships and keeping them. It really wasn't until about three years ago where we started standing up mortgage, standing up stronger in rentals, standing right. up Zillow offers, standing up. So now if you have these business units, thinking of business units, everybody wants to do their thing on the one site, the one gate, which is our, our main page. So literally in the last, I don't know, Rich came back, maybe it was a year and a half ago, we decided like, we have to figure out now, what does this prioritization look like? And we mm-hmm. literally just this last couple months said, let's not focus on the business units. It's not about mortgage or it's about actually the customer and let's run a buyer seller through all this. And then what does a buyer seller need along the way? And then how do we talk to a buyer seller on their journey? Versus like, hey, I'm a mortgage. Hey, I want to sell your house. And they're a mm-hmm. renter. So why would they care? Hey, do we? So we're super early on this journey. I am really excited about how the entire company and leadership has just, they're taking, these are big changes of behavior. And it's yeah. fun and it's exciting and it's scary. And, you and- know, we've never done it before. And, And that, that, that makes tons of sense. And is, I would imagine sort of a test and learn mindset, kind of growth mindset is at the center of this and having a, having frameworks in place, both for decision-making, but also just for, for trying things and testing things. Is that part of the, the sort of ethos and, and approach that you're talking about? It is. Yes. hundred percent. One of the things we're finding though, as we, if you say collapse all of these business units into a single identity of a customer over time mm-hmm. is we're finding lots of things. Probably you guys deal with a lot, right? Like well, the tooling is different. And if right. the right arm changes a page and doesn't QA it, the tooling breaks and you don't know until da, da, da. the, um, all of the customer feedback loops are not connected. You can't federate out a customer to then reliably read back the feedback back onto that customer. So there's a lot of stuff that we, while we 100% are believing in a test and iterate and learn, 
what we've realized is if you turn the customer sideways, that we don't have the system right. set up yet to really tool against that. So, or, or even within its own funnel, we're used to looking at the end of the funnel. Oh, we got a five CSAT. Right. Awesome. I'm like, yes, but 98% of people are what? So, so, but the two people that did it loved it. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. But what's our goal? Is it 50% of people? So it's just shifting some of those ways of looking at it because it worked in the old model. Just yeah. being patient to think about how it needs to work in the new model. And again, I just can't be more impressed by the leadership in the company, just like being patient with it and trying to figure out and kicking the tires. Mm-hmm. It's just refreshing and amazing. Well, you're, well, to a comment and then a, a, a question, maybe a final question, because we're getting close on time here. But the first of all, I love how you just described that, Amy, about kind of putting, like, don't think of it as like your business units are showing, like your, you know, your org chart is showing, like have it be about the customer, have it be about the customer experience, the customer relationship, and then figure out, you know, in a matrix way, frankly, how everybody's sort of function can can and should work together to bring the right customer experience and customer relationship to life. I and mean, that is like the heart and soul of what we all work together on at Starbucks. But I think it's, I think, you know, it's, it, it starts with a very customer centric mentality and, you know, you can get into like, it technically is customer centric design. It's customer centric strategy. It's like, and dig, digital strategy and marketing is no different. I, I love your description of that, Amy and how, applies to Zillow. Let, let me, but let's use that as a segue to kind of wrap up, which is how, um, who else have you seen that you think is doing a good job of that? And maybe, maybe another way of answering it is like, what, what other digital experiences recently have you had that were, that impressed you? Maybe because they were, they were probably practicing that same process or maybe not. It's just, just curious. Sure. Uh, one thing before I answer that, I think the one thing too I'm finding because I was in, I've done B two B like way back when when I was at Campbell's. I did you know food service B two B, which is its own like you know going to vending shows. It's a whole other world. But um, one of the things I'm finding is when we, I'm using the word customer to mean consumer, and I also have a whole group of people that do B two B, so business partner marketing. And and what I'm finding is like. As long as you think of the person sitting across from you as a human going through some journey, you can use any of these things with them. What I'm finding interesting is when I sit down and talk to B2B marketers, there's a there's a there needs to be, I think, a mind shift of B2B marketing isn't about getting your widget to a gajillion people through somebody. It's figuring out how do you work with a partner to get across what you need to from your brand perspective. It's just a different Right. It's like any of the stuff you could do, whether or not you're a B2C or B2B marketer, it's just B2B for whatever reason is taking, seems like it's taking a lot longer to get to that place. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. And I know since you, before you answer that kind of the, the ultimate kind of wrap up question, I'm glad you brought that up because you and Ben and I have talked about this in the past, even about like at Zillow, like where you're the, the idea of like at Starbucks, we, 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 we religiously talked about our customer as a customer. Yeah. They weren't a user, even if they were on the website or the mobile app, they were a right. customer. Right. Uh, they, you know, and, and we had, you know, B2B and B2C at Starbucks too. But the point is that like, I, I find it fascinating. You're right. Like at 
you you sit in this intersection at Zillow of having actual customers that are B2B customers, like agents and advertisers and whatnot. And then you have customers that are users that are the end human being that actually wants to find a house to buy or thinking about understanding information to sell a house. So like you sit in the you sit in a kind of an extreme crossover situation where it's really important to get your brain around like what do you mean by customer? Where are we using that term carefully or not or whatever? It's, I find that interesting. Yep. Yeah. So okay, so yep. let's yep. let's uh Agents are just small business owners. Okay, what do I Okay, yeah. so I'm going to talk about uh, there's a company that I really really like and I just want to talk about because it's um I've used them and I find them very interesting. So Stitch Fix. Um, I know that they've been around for a while. I, I you know, Katrina um, is was a CEO, a CEO. She, you know, one of the few females that were able to get the funding and all that kind of stuff, right? Awesome business. Um, the reason I love it so much is because it uses, and I thought it'd be applicable here, but it uses data as a tool along with stylists to figure out what's right for you. So again, it takes that human, there's a, there were at one point there were 3,500 stylists in the United States that then would use the data. So you, in, in, in a really fun and engaging, if you're not familiar, so Stitch Fix is a company where they will surprise and delight you with like five pieces of clothing, jewelry, whatever, on whatever time frame you want, a month, three months, whatever. And they, at, it's fun when you first go in because they're like, who, what do you, what style do you like? And it's like bohemian. And then they show you like a bunch of awesome like clothes. You're like, oh, I must be bohemian. Click, I like this. And then there's like, you know, nightclub-y. I'm like, not me. Uh, I'd like to think so, but never again. Okay, that goes away. And then, so, so you kind of do some, you're giving feedback, right? In a way that they've indexed the clothes so they could figure out what you're liking, right? So there's a genome level to the clothes they have. Then they will feed all that into algorithm. They'll send you your first box. And then do I like it? Do I not like it? They have like five questions that you answer on each thing. So if you bought it, why did you buy it? If you didn't buy it, why did you not buy it? Did it fit you? Was it too expensive? Was the value there? I'm sure these are the questions that they figured out they need to know, right? To get yourself. Now, and then they ask a question, did you like your stylist? So somebody, a stylist, picked something. I was like, oh, interesting. It's a person. Mm. And the first box I got is, oh, God, this is, I can't, what, I can't do this. I, but I'm a marketer. I got to like, so I do it again. And I said, I didn't like my stylist. So then the next time I actually got an email from somebody and they said, hey, can you tell me a little bit about what you did or didn't like? And then she or he asked a couple of questions and then I answered. And the next box was like three things out of the five things I ended up buying. I liked. And then I sent it back again. And so I've been doing it every quarter just because I'm intellectually interesting and I happen to have gotten some really good clothes out of it. But I thought it was this whole match between the genome level of the clothes and the data and being creative with that, but also taking the feedback loop as part of the clothing genome, right? And having a human check and adjust all along the way. It's, that's fascinating to me. Um, and, and then there's the whole value proposition around it too, right? Like it's 20, you pay for the shipping there and back. It's just that if you keep the clothes, they give you a 20% discount, which means their margin just gets hit. And if you don't like it, you don't, their margin doesn't get hit. They just get the clothes back. So their model is actually somewhat interesting too. Anyway, I, I just, I'm really, I'm, I think that's, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, that's a that's such a good example um, of that sort of human data computer interaction and how how using data and technology smartly to deliver a more human better experience. Um, great example. I'm also sort of chuckling to myself because I would imagine Stitch Fix Stitch Fix has done quite a robust sweatpants and fleece business in the last uh, <laughs> year or so during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Stretching yes, I do have the same guilty. I, <laughs> yes, I did go to quarterly because I'm like, I, I, you know, you have your Zoom shirt, right? And maybe exactly. a necklace. <laughs> I, I got, I had my dry Beyond cleaning done slippers. for the. Fr- yeah, I had, I had my dry cleaning done for the first time in a year uh, a couple of weeks ago. So. Um, well, Amy, this has been uh, this has been yeah. fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and insights with us and our listeners. Uh, and thanks. It's fun seeing you guys. Yeah, it was great to see you. And thank you again. And thanks to everybody for listening. Check back soon for another conversation with customer obsessed digital leaders. Until then, stay safe. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on what Adam and Ben are building with their teams, visit brightloom.com and follow them on Twitter at Adam Brotman and at B Straley.